Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital media and the arts. My name is Cheyenne Homan, and in this episode, we'll be talking with Alicia Milkey about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Thanks for joining us so much today, Alicia. Um, Would you like to start by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about what you do? Uh, my name is Alicia Milkey. I'm the concert manager at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. I work with Scott Nickrens, who is our Abrams Curator of Music, and together we put on about 35 Sunday concerts a year at the museum, as well as many jazz and contemporary performances as well. Do those all happen in the same space at the museum? Yes, and that's in our Calderwood Hall, which is part of the 2012 new wing of the museum um, designed by Renzo Piano, and it seats 300, and it's in the style of theater in the round. Tell me a little bit about the museum itself, why it's called the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, and perhaps some context as to why there's so much music that happens there. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was created by Isabella Stewart Gardner herself, and it is her personal collection and was curated only by her. And her will stipulates that as long as the museum remains the same, you know, we we cannot move any of the artwork or, you know, change any of the paintings around, as long as that stays the same, we will always have this museum for public use. So what's very interesting about that is it is, you know, her vision, her ideas, you know, to this day, it hasn't been altered, you know, by a different director or, you know, changing times, it is still her vision. And I think that's a very unique way to have a museum And I even notice, you know, in each individual room, there doesn't necessarily have to be a time or a genre or an order to the works that are in there. At the Gardner Museum, everything is mixed together in a very interesting and thought out way, which I find very distinctive and very personal. It feels extremely personal to me. And she herself, Mrs. Gardner, was... um, an incredible enthusiast of music and sponsoring upcoming musicians and composers and had frequent concerts in her house as well as in the museum. And in that sense, we at the Gardner Museum have the longest running museum concert series. So music has always been a huge part of this museum as well as in Mrs. Gardner's life. And we're so fortunate to have that heritage because we've been able to really be supported by this museum and the arts culture to continue to have an incredible music program throughout the years, really. Historically, you know, you said she's always been a supporter of composers and musicians, up and coming musicians. Do you say that, would you say that the museum is continuing that tradition or would you say that the museum has taken that and built upon it as time has passed? 
Mm-hmm. We are certainly always supporting young artists and young musicians. We have an um, extremely close collaboration with the Institute um, Young Concert Artists in New York, and part of the package of you know being chosen as one of those artists is performances at the Gardner Museum. And so we have worked for many years with that organization as well as New England Conservatory, Curtis Institute of Music, the Cleveland International Piano Competition. They have all sent young artists here who have been at the the beginning of their careers and it's been incredible to watch some of them and see their careers really expand and then have them back at the Gardner. It's really interesting to see that progression. Yeah, so speaking of concerts, um, tell me about the museum's podcast called The Concert. You know, we had all these incredible recordings of live concerts from the Tapestry Room originally and now from Calderwood Hall that we wanted to be able to share with a broader audience. We wanted to allow people who weren't able to come to the concerts a chance to hear the music that was happening here. We release a new podcast every two weeks. Um, It's usually the 1st and the 15th of every month. Um, As to date, we, I believe in June, it was either June or July that we hit 5 million downloads between the podcasts and our music library offerings. Yeah, that's incredible. So the music library is separate from the podcast, but my understanding is that many of those recordings appear on the podcast. Yes. So actually the way we do it is it's usually, so each podcast is about 35 to 45 sometimes minutes of music which can be, you know, one long string quartet or a lot of times it's two or three pieces. So the pieces that go up on a podcast after it's been up there for two weeks and the next podcast comes out, the tracks that are on the podcast that was just, you know, retired, um, then go into the music library that you can listen to individually. And so the podcast and all of the offerings in the music library are offered under a Creative Commons license, is that correct? Yes. And that's an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So people are encouraged to download and listen and share, but not to use for commercial purposes? Correct. Okay. So we are able to put up these recordings because we have the artist's sign off. They've, they've okayed us to use their recordings. So how does the museum maintain this constant stream of musicians? Yes, so Scott Nickrens is our mastermind behind this. He's our Abrams curator of music, and he is the one that is in charge of programming all these great musicians. And he has worked with a lot of this, these musicians for a number of years. Like I mentioned before, we work very closely with several young artist groups and organizations that are really finding and encouraging the best young musicians that are out there. Young concert artists from New York, Cleveland International Piano Competition, Curtis Institute of Music, and New England Conservatory are the primary groups and um, schools that we draw from for our Young Artist Showcase concerts. 
Yeah, so speaking of bringing in artists, do you have any highlights you'd like to talk about for the upcoming concert series or seasons that you have? Yes, so our um, our next season, of course, is our spring 2015. And one of the young concert artist winners that we're really excited to showcase comes right at the beginning of the season. Her name is Julia Bullock. She's a fantastic soprano. Um, another concert and collaboration we're very much looking forward to is the Boston Children's Chorus. Um, often we have their singers up on the first or second balconies singing, you know, singing to the audience above them as well as below them. Um, this last concert for one of the pieces, they had singers on the floor that were singing up to the third balcony. They were laying down and it, it really, that our hall just, once musicians get in there and directors, they walk into that space and they're immediately inspired to do all sorts of things and configurations and setups that aren't really possible in a normal normal concert hall. Yeah, with the proscenium stage, it projects the sound very differently than a, something in the round. Yes, yes. And I th- the other fun thing, too, you know, I mentioned Julia Bullock and this, these um, Boston Children's Chorus is with singers, too, you can have fun, really, and move around the stage, which, of course, you can't do so much in a proscenium style. So to, to be able to have that freedom to sing to people all around you is is I think really amazing and and is slightly different than if you have a cellist that has to sit down they can't you know spin around and play to all the different people in the hall yeah so how does recording something like that translate would you say onto a a, you know for a listener who's not in the hall at the time Yes. So our recording engineers are masters. Um, What we do is we have two main pairs of mics that are, of course, very directional. So with the singer, what we actually have them do is wear a wireless mic just for the purpose of the recording, because then that allows us to track their voice and to mix it appropriately as if you were in the hall. Yeah. So do you want to talk about your new-ish video series? (laughs) Yes, so we launched our Modern Music episodes kind of as a test platform on the Garden Museum's YouTube channel. Just last week, we were able to launch that on our website. And what we're really excited about this series, which is the brainchild, again, of our music director, Scott Nickrens, is videos that are live footage from in-house cameras from our hall of music that is new and exciting and you'll probably notice all of the music on our podcast and music library it's music written before 1923 which is public domain with this modern music we're actually able to get the release of a living composer a guest composer that one of these groups has brought in we're able to release that content Um, You'll be able to check back every now and then and see new video uploads from our hall, as well as, you know, our podcasts that are happening every two weeks. So we we certainly have a lot of music that's going out there to people to listen to. Some of our listeners may be familiar with the distinction between what I would call classical music and what you're calling new or modern music. Um, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. So what I would describe our modern music is, I would say, 
contemporary classical. So we're still using all of our same instruments that we're used to seeing in a you know classical chamber orchestra or classical chamber group. But this music that we're really highlighting in these contemporary concerts is anything you know that is contemporary. We're we're often featuring pieces from 1950s and even earlier than that, but as well as brand new premieres, you know, something that was just written last year or in the last 10 years, and really sharing with an audience the music that is being currently written and created and giving everyone a chance to listen to that and hear that. You know, it may not be the easy listening music that you're used to. You know, it it can often have different different harmonies, different rhythms, you know, it's challenging to listen to, yes, but in some cases that challenge then becomes really an intrigue and you, you're listening and you're saying, wow, you know, what, it, what is this composer trying to do and trying to accomplish? What, what do they want me to hear that it, I can't hear if I'm only listening to, you know, maybe music from Beethoven and Bach, you know, what, can I open my ears to next? You know, what new sounds, new combinations, new rhythms can I expect to hear or, you know, not expect to hear? It's it's a very adventurous type of listening and adventurous concert going. I think when a lot of people think about classical music or even the style, you know, the instrumentation, they just think of people playing sort of the hits, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. We love doing that. We have our tried and true, you know, we have our, you know, Brahms cello sonatas and our Brahms violin sonatas that we program as really great. And, you know, a whole program of Brahms is really fun to hear. Um, but then there are so many of our programs that are, you know, Brahms and then Ize, you know, what you would consider a contemporary composer or maybe something by Stravinsky that we now don't quite, you know, think of as much as contemporary, but is very much more contemporary than Brahms. So Um, that's all the questions I had for you. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Bye. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive and is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our theme song this week is The Spider-Man's Nano Loop by Uncle Bibby and can be found at the Free Music Archive. For more information about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, please visit gardnermuseum.org.